0: good morning can you hear me okay okay it's good to see each of you here this morning Um, bear with me today my allergies are in number 10 level so I'm gonna get through this so y'all bear with me I want you to have lots of comments and lots of discussion today so if I get choked up I need a break so so we're gonna let's begin our class with a, a prayer Father, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for all the blessings you give us. We're thankful for this place that we have of comfort to gather out of the elements. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that we have the complete, inerrant version of your will for us in this life. We pray that as we study it, it will be spiritual food to strengthen us we pray that that spiritual food will help us to teach others and to lift each other up and we pray that as we do this that as a result the borders of your kingdom will be expanded and we pray that your will will be done in all of this and all these things we ask in your son's name Amen. All righty. This week we're going to pick up in chapter 13. Brother Robert covered a lot of ground last week. You know, when you you plow through the scriptures, I guess he he must be using a, a larger tractor than I'm using. So I plow just a little bit slower, but that's okay. What I'd like to do, though, I'd like to to step back into chapter thir- or chapter 12 for just a moment to kind of get our mind on some things that are going to happen in chapter 13 and how Samuel kind of told Saul some things that were going to happen if this didn't happen, if you didn't do this. So I'm going to pick up with 1 Samuel chapter 12 verses 13-13. 15, just as, a, just as a review of what Samuel told Saul. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired, and take note, the Lord has set a king over you, if you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your father's. Now jumping down to verse 24 of chapter 12. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Now as we pick up in chapter 13, let's go through the events that unfold. Let's start with verse 1. Saul reigned one year when he had reigned two years over Israel. Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash in the mountains of Bethel, and a 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all of Israel heard it said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul, at Gilgal okay so Saul is is a new king he's reigned over Israel for two years he picks three thousand men of Israel two thousand stay with Saul at Michmash in the mountains a thousand go with Jonathan to Gibeah of Benjamin he sends the rest of Israel to their tents Jonathan attacks the Philistines which was at Giba, garrison of the Philistines. A garrison is a military or fortified post. Then the word gets out to the Philistines of the attack. Saul sounds the trumpet throughout all the land, meaning let the Hebrews hear. All of Israel gets the news that we are not that we are at war again with the Philistines. They are called together to Saul, to Gilgal, the Philistines gathered together to fight against Israel. Now, as we read on, it's going to kind of lay out what Israel is up against in this battle. Picking up at verse 5. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of beth when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger for the people were distressed. Then the people hid in the caves in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over to the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Now, when it talks about in multitudes of sand of the seashore, how is that normally used in scripture to describe? I'm sorry? Okay. It's usually used to describe um, God's people, right? And now here they're using it to describe the enemy. I think that's interesting. That there's that many, and we're going to find out here in just a just a moment where it talks about how the Israelites were so afraid. And as, as as we continue here, and it talks, if you'll notice where it lays out, they were so afraid they were they were fearful for their lives. They were hiding. You know, it it mentions every. Conceivable place that they could have hidden from the Philistines. They were scared to death. It's kind of interesting too that you know we've we've read of the battles that they had won before this, and how things have changed. You know they have they're in the Promised Land. Things have settled down. Um, they finally got their king. So things have kind of, they have, they've got comfortable in a way, and we're going to see that here in just a moment where it talks about some of the reasons why they were afraid and the things that that were going on that, that led up to this. Let's continue on. As for Saul, he was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and a peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now here we see Saul again. If you remember back in chapter 9... Saul, it seemed like his personality was the type that when things didn't work out exactly as, you know, he thought they should happen. You know, remember when they were, look, when they were searching for the donkeys, you know, after a couple, what was it, three days? He was like, okay, I'm done. I'm going home. I'm, I'm done with this. But it was, the, it was the servant that he had picked that counseled him. And helped him, you know, follow through with what he had been sent out to do. But here he is again. Evidently, this was a common thing that Saul and Samuel had done before. There was a set time that he was to wait. But here you see Saul is so impatient, he's taking it upon himself to to go ahead with things and and to move forward. So... What, what was wrong with Saul moving forward with this sacrifice? Okay. Only the priest were the ones who were ordained, if you will, by God to, to do this. And Saul would have been, it's not that he was ignorant and didn't know this. He was, he was aware, aware, uh, aware excuse me of what was supposed to happen. But evidently, he took it upon himself. He's the king now. So there, and I'm pretty sure, and as we read, we'll see this, that the people, he was seeing all these people scatter. And he's facing this massive Philistine army. And Saul had good intentions because he knew that in order for them to survive or even have a chance against these Philistines, they were gonna have to have favor with God. So his intentions were, were perfectly good. You know, He's he, he seen in, in past situations to where they had to have God in order to survive. They had to have his um, help In all this. So. You know. We all kind of jump on Saul. And go well you know. He should have known better than that. But. He was. He was the man. Who was getting all the pressure. You got to put yourself. In his shoes. He's got. He's in charge of all these people. They're scattering. He's facing this massive army. He's been king for two years. So he's. He's still new at this. He's still a young man. So you got to kind of. Kind of think about what's going on there. Questions or comments? Do do good intentions justify us going around what God's will would be, even though, um, you know, good intentions and at the time we feel like this is what I have to do. Is that a out for going around what God has told us to do? Any other examples come to mind that you can think of, or this similar? thing happens in scripture Uzzah. okay Uzzah and the ark um, uh, what about uh, we we'll go all the way back to Cain and Abel the sacrifices that were offered up one was pleasing to God one was not pleasing to God um, I'm sorry Moses okay all right where else okay Abraham and Sarah uh, who was it that offered up the strange fire yeah, it. okay there you go my memory left me there for a second but I, I remembered the strange fire but there's there's multiple times throughout scripture to where we see good intentions you know people have good intentions but it's not it's not it's not about good intentions we still have to step back and go with every decision is this what god wants is this what god wants a reaction it was a good Uh, intended right Right. he was trying to protect the ark okay we all like to be in control That's, that's true none of us like to be told specifically what to do I mean and I'm I'll raise my hand first sometimes I don't like to be told what to do I like to decide what I want to do and hopefully it's the right thing but not always so, right well this sacrifice and all that it would probably have included that you know that's the reason he, he was moving forward with it to help and ask God for the favor in this but then again he missed the little thing that he knew well, that, that's another thing. You know, we we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago about how the little things that either happen or don't happen, the domino effect that change things. You know, did Samuel delay his return on purpose? Was was this a test? Was there something that, you know, something that that God had put in Samuel's path that delayed him we don't know it doesn't tell us but the simple fact is he did not wait on the Lord Um, and we're going to talk about that as time allows on waiting on the Lord of how many times that we look through scripture and how many scriptures uh, most of them are in Psalms that talk about waiting on the Lord and just being patient that's a good one there. The golden calf, when Moses went up on the mountain, you know, they, he delayed his return coming back down. And they took it upon herself to make the golden calf. And they just, they were not going to wait. And we're, we're an impatient, as human beings, we're impatient. We, we want to please God. We want to uh, think all of our intentions and our actions are, are good, but we're impatient. Time, We've got move, right? Alright. Okay. All right. We're going to move on. We're going to move on. Okay. Verse ten. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. So here, here's another. Then again, stepping back and thinking about the reaction here. You see, Saul was still excited to see Samuel. So he still, in his mind, he did the right thing. Because if he had thought about it and said, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't have offered that sacrifice. No, he he was still glad to see Samuel. So in his mind... He did the right thing. He's still going out to meet Samuel. He's not like, well, I don't know what Samuel's going to think about this, you know. But when when you read into it, Um, and then let's 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 see what Samuel's reaction is in verse 11. And Samuel said, "What have you done?" So here we go. Samuel is immediately addressing what he's done. There's no, hey, how you doing? There's no explaining why I'm late. He's like, what have you done? And how did Samuel already know this? Does it say? Just think about that. How did Samuel already know this? They're coming out to greet each other. How did he know? Okay. So then again... Did he delay his coming? Was there some reason why that time was expanded? I mean, think about it. So Saul said, picking up in the second part of verse 11, When I saw the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, verse 12, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. Now, if you'll notice in Saul's response, he is in a roundabout way blaming Samuel for his actions of not waiting. You see, he, he points out and that you did not come within the days appointed. You were late. So I just I just went ahead. So here here you go again. You got Saul's personality coming out of his immediate reaction to things instead of going to God or relying on Samuel, who has been his uh, Counselor, if you will, through through all this from the beginning. So, um, and then of course Saul is justifying why he did it. You know, he talks about the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not I have not made supplication to the Lord. What would a better word have been there? We. Who who is God going to help when we, I, we make supplication? He's going to help all of us. This was not a personal request from Saul that he had a problem or something that he needed to address. This was for everyone. This was for the well-being of the Israelite nation. So you, then again, you see Saul's personality coming out. I, I, I decided to do this. Okay. Right. Anyone else? Right. Uh, back to his good intentions. He, he realized that he needed God's help and he realized what was going to happen without God's help. Right. 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 Uh, lost. All right okay all right let's move on verse 13 and Samuel said to Saul now notice how how he's he kind of gives him a, a warm and fuzzy here you have done foolishly I mean he then again he is directly addressing this issue. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. And if you'll notice the wording here too, where it talks about your kingdom, your reign. It's it's not the kingdom Is not going to continue, but it's Saul being king over the kingdom at that time. As we continue on, the Lord sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Let's stop right there. So Samuel is straight and to the point. He calls Saul out. You know, you. This is this is not what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, there's there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. He's just like you have done foolishly. Where else does it talk about? Uh, you know, we're not supposed to call people a fool. It's in it's in the New Testament where you'd be guilty of hellfire when you. But he addresses Saul. You've done foolish. So he is, it, it, it kind of takes you back in a way. We think of a priest as being, you know, very meek, very, you know, low-key. But Samuel here is like, no, this is God's business. This is, and then again, you got to think about this is the reason we started with the scripture in verse 12. Samuel had already laid this out to him so plainly. If you do not follow the commandments of God, if it's, there's no, and then again, it's so, he just goes around it. All right, let's continue on. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. Verse 16, Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people present with him remained in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned onto the road of Ophrah to the land of Shul, another company turned to the road of Beth Haran, and another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboan toward the wilderness. Now the last part of this chapter is is so interesting, and we're going to hopefully spend most of the remainder of our time there. It's very simple on on what's going on. It doesn't seem very significant in a way, but when you think about the effect that that it has on the Israelite people. um, So let's... Let's continue in verse 19. Now pay close attention to what's said here. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords and spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare. His mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge of the sharpening was a pim for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. So it came about on the day of the battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Mi'kmaq. Now, why was this so important? I mean, it kind of tells us, but I think we can pull some more points out of it that, that will even expand it a little more. Why was this so important? Right. Now, you just think about that. At, at the beginning it was what 3,000 total between Jonathan and Saul. And if you count Saul and Jonathan, how many weapons did they have? And then it explained how many Philistines there were. and they had chariots, all these horsemen, and they were numbered as the sand of the seashore. So now it kind of explains why all these people, we're afraid. We would be afraid. It, it's, it'd be kind of like, what is it to say you go to, a, uh, you don't go to a gunfight with a knife. You're, you're, you're not going to win. And then when you sit and think about this, now what else? What else did this affect outside of defending themselves? What did they have to have to provide for their families? Okay, they had to have these tools. They had to keep them sharp because their efficiency would go way down if they're using dull tools, which meant more time, more labor, more food that they'd have to produce to replenish what they're using up. It's all about the efficiency of the tools. But they couldn't even take, they couldn't even maintenance, if you will, their own tools to, to grow their food. And that's another uh, thing that we can draw out of this of how you know we it, it keeps talking about the king and Israel and God being their their God but then again they were so um, pushed down because of all these things but this should have been a humility thing for the Israelites and what, then again was this part of God's big picture of humbling them and pretty much forcing them to look to God for, for favor in this help Brother Lance I think so. good point Tom that's what it sounds like it kind of reminds me of back when, when they uh, in Egypt when they um, you know they were bringing them straw make the bricks, and then they turned around and asked them, you gotta go get your own straw. Which, it just devastated their time and their workload. Kind of the same thing. Tom, you had your hand up. All right. What about just the simplest things as, as defending themselves from even wildlife? If, the, if they had no weapons. Why? I mean, you know, when you sit back and think about all this, you, you wonder how you could get in that situation. They must have had it pretty good, or they must have been comfortable. You know, there's, there's so many things you could pull out of this, and how the simplest thing can change a society, and the simplest little things that can control a nation, or can steer it in a different direction. And another thing, I, I was thinking, okay, why didn't they, if the Philistines obviously didn't want them to have a blacksmith. Why didn't they hide and do the blacksmith thing on their own? What, what all is involved in being a blacksmith? Okay, that would be a one thing. What else goes on with blacksmith working metal? Okay, so you, you're building a fire all the time. You're going to have smoke. You're going to have the smell of the smoke. Um... What else happens when you're, when you're forming the metal? Noisy. It's very noisy. And it, and, it's, it, and it would become a gathering point. And then when you have something made, and you're using it, and somebody's like, hey, huh? I like that. Where'd you get that at? Word gets around. So there was a lot of reasons probably why that they did not do this on their own, that they were so restricted. And then when you look at the numbers, they were their numbers were so low. And then again, it goes back to when they occupied this land. What did God tell them to do? They were supposed to wipe them out, and they did not do that. So you you keep going back, and you keep you know it's these checkpoints of okay, how did they get here? Why are they here? Why are they facing this? And it all goes back to um, they did not follow what God asked them to do. They got comfortable. All right, that's a good point. Very good point. I mean, it goes into great detail when they do build the temple of all the gold that was formed and how everything was layered with gold. Of course, when you go back to all the things that were made for the tabernacle, you know, the ark of the covenant, all the things that were made were pretty much overlaid with gold. So. Somebody had those skills back then. So, you know, what happened to them? Why was it not handed down? Why was it, you know, there's a lot of ifs that you can pull out of this. But the bottom line is they did not follow what God had asked them to do. Um, I'd like to, we just got a few minutes left, but um, there's some scriptures that in your own time, um, if you got something to write them down with, about waiting on God. These are a lot. Most of these are in Psalms. I'll go through the list here if you want to write them down. Psalm 27 and verse 14. Isaiah 40 and verse 31. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 25. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18. Psalm chapter 130 verses 5 and 6. Psalm chapter 33 verses 20 through 22. Exodus chapter 14 verses 14. Psalm chapter 37 and verse 34. Psalm chapter 62 and verse 5 Psalm chapter 37 and verse 7 Psalm chapter 46 and verse 10 Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 4 Psalm chapter 130 and verse 5 Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 22, Genesis chapter 49 and verse 18. Those are some very good scriptures that kind of drive home the point of waiting on God. You know, we a lot of times we, we're, we're so, we want to get it done. Our society's, you know, get it done. We've got so much time, but it's, it's so important from all these lessons that That we do what we can, but we still, it's in God's hands. As long as we're doing what he's asking us to do, it's going to work out. And it may not work out like we think it's going to work out. But he has a plan. He has a plan. I'm going to stop right there and thank you all for being here. And we're dismissed.